Welcome, all you blokes and sheilers, to the Sport Shack from the Gold Coast, Australia. In the Sport Shack this week, we're going to talk about some of the sporting topics of the week and lots more. And all from and with our great mate, Paul Tonner. We acknowledge the Ugambe people, past and present, the traditional custodians of this land of the Gold Coast. We thank the Yogambe people for the opportunities to do this podcast on their land. Ciao a tutti e benvenuto in un altro episodio della Baraka Sportivo. Stia bene che tu abbia transcorso una gran settimana sportiva. Ciao, Glenn. Come start. Yeah, I knew every word. Yeah. Oh, there goes my microphone again. A bit, bit, bit of a surprise to hear you. Come on, don't take you to practice. <laughs> it was, uh, hello, everybody, and what was it? Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Sports Shack. I hope you are well and have had a great sporting week. Hi there, Glenn. Hey, Paul. So I just had a go at talking Italian because our episode today is uh, celebrating Italy and Italian sport. Yeah, yeah, cause it's a national day coming up next week. Yeah, the Festa della Repubblica. Yeah. Anyway, how's your week been, Glenn? All right. Yeah, busy. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Unfortunately, we had a few days of rain on and off. It's slowed things down, so it's put me. Oh, really? A little bit behind. What about yeah. beautiful, glorious weather? Yeah, that, that's why I'm coming back up there, mate. I'm, <laughs> over, I'm over this. I've had, yeah. I've had washing out on the line for two days. And every time I you know, go out, the sun comes out. Then heading back home, it starts to rain again. Oh. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's the thing with this time of year. It takes ages for the clothes to dry, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Bella agrees. Yeah. Background. Yeah, I know. When I, when I was living behind your place, that Bucky, yeah, it, yeah, middle of winter, it'd take about two days the clothes to dry because it was on the veranda. But mm. in the middle of summer, yeah, just a few hours, <laughs> yeah. it'd be dry. Yeah, so it'd be different. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Hey, we lost a uh, a great. A few days ago, yeah. the former Where Are They Now? Yeah. The great Tina Turner. Yeah. yeah. We just spoke about her in depth. Yeah. Oh, it wasn't that long ago. It was early in the year. Yeah. Yeah, yeah just about the um, song. Was it songs about football? About, about yeah, sports. She, yeah. yeah, and how she helped, you know, promote uh, rugby league. And, yeah. Yeah, well, it's called the New South Wales Rugby League. Back in those days, and then it became the ARL, and yeah. now the NRL. But yeah. that was just a masterstroke, you know. Yeah. Back in the late eighties, when uh, you know they they got her on board to promote the game, and you know it was heavily criticised at the time. They just thought, oh, "What are you doing, getting you know an American out here who knows uh, nothing about the game to try and promote it?" Wow. And oh, it just. It's probably the greatest sports marketing campaign in Australian uh, history, um, I reckon. I yeah. can actually tell you the exact, my exact location 
I first heard that that song was being used. Oh, really? Yeah. What, Simply the Best or the other one? What you get is what you see. Simply the Best. Yeah. I was actually parked outside a mate's place on top of this hill and just about to go in. Yeah. And they started talking about it on the radio. I thought, what? <laughs> uh, that, that, that's going to ruin the song. Yeah, because whenever I hear it after that, it's going to relate to the, the rugby league. Yeah. 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 Well, it's been it's been good the last few days because they've interviewed a lot of the the players from around that time. Yeah. You know, with some of the real well known players yeah. like Paul Fatty Vorton and yeah. Benny Elias and yeah, yeah and, uh, Andrew Eddinghausen and yeah. mate, you know, they all featured in the in the ads with her. Yeah. And they just said, yeah, she was awesome. You yeah. know. Just uh, real down to earth, and and when when um she that one oh, I was in the the nineties where she was uh, the start of the commercial. She was on top of the Harbour Bridge. Yeah. yeah. Apparently she went up there. That was before they did tours on that. Yeah. And she went up there with no vest, yeah. you know, safety harness or anything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Fanny Gordon gave a ripper of a story the other night. Yeah. <laughs> Because he um he got an invitation you know to appear in one of the ads and I think it was at Maroubra Beach in Sydney yeah. and uh, all he was told was to turn up with his sluggos on and <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he turns up and he's in between like um you know two of the real sex symbols of the game at the time yeah. there, and yeah. uh, might have been Wayne Pierce the other one yeah. Um, yeah, and this American uh, film director who was filming it at the time, he goes, you know, because Fatty Vorton, he didn't look very good in sluggos. Get that man out of out of my shot. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. Yeah, there's a there's a guy. Well, there's on Triple M in Sydney. There's Mick Malloy and another guy called MG. And apparently this MG used to play rugby league. And he, yeah. sp and he spoke about it one morning. Well, well the, the, the morning the, the news broke about Tina Turner passing away. Yeah. Oh, uh, was uh, this Mark Dyer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it could be. I don't know. Yeah, Bald yeah. guy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, they have it. They do They do the breakfast show in Sydney on Triple M. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, which is very, yeah, uh, yeah. which is very funny with, with Mick Mill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it was fascinating, you know, when I was researching her because I just knew her as a singer, and I, I liked a lot of her songs, you know, especially in the eighties, so the songs that she had in the eighties and. When she made that big comeback, and uh, no, it's just uh, really fascinating, just reading all about her, her history. You know where she came from, and I remember watching the movie. There was a movie made it about her. Oh, that was probably thirty years ago. Yeah. yeah. But uh, no, we actually lost another great man. 
We spoke about him last week, actually. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, there's another African-American, yeah. Mr. Jim Brown. Yeah. yeah, we're just talking about him on the episode last week about, um, you know, sports people who became yeah. well-known actors. Yeah. And, you know, he was, uh, I think he was, well, he was in my top five. Yeah. He had a distinguished career as an actor. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, he's a guy who was, he played, he was in the first ever interracial scene with Raquel Welch. Yeah. Yeah, and then had the news on on uh, later that night, just a few hours afterwards, and yeah, well, they said he'd passed away. Yeah, yeah the day before. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you you've been to London. Yeah, lots of times. Have, yeah, yeah. Have you heard of the a building called the Walkie Talkie Building? No. Yeah, it's a building in there that's got the nickname Walkie Talkie. Yeah, why they call it that? Because it's shaped like a walkie-talkie. And yeah. they are walkie-talkies. But what they what they found was after they finished the building, that during a certain part of the day, because it was all glass at the front and the way it was curved, it would re reflect all this light and heat on the cars below the building and actually melt them. Yeah, yeah, make the inside the cars really hot, yeah, and make things melt inside the car. Jeez, what even in winter over there? Or? Oh, well, it, well, they, they didn't say specifically what what season, but they just spoke about um, mm. the fact that you know it was melting melting cars yep. during a certain part of the day. So I suppose well, you know, because you know the. The sun changes angle during during seasons. Yeah, it's it's lower in the it's lower in the sky during winter and higher in the sky during summer. Yeah, yeah. So I suppose depending on the curve and the angle of the building, yeah, it probably mm. more severe during some seasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Have so you got a slap of the week? Uh, I, bet, <laughs> I should, <laughs> I should give myself a couple of slaps because I just, yes, I mean, I, 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 I just been going nonstop all day, every day for the last week. Yeah, I turn around and go, what have I done? I've still got all this to do. I'm trying <laughs> to plow. Yeah, I need to. <laughs> Be good if I had someone else here to help me. What I had to get through, but I'm still sort of trying to. I've got to get this done. I've got to get that done. Then something else pops up and yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, but I haven't had any chance to watch much TV or news or anything like that. I've just been coming in, cooking, doing me doing, going <laughs> straight out, out <laughs> like a light on the couch. Yeah, I'll give myself a slap. Yeah. I've been burning my tongue this week yeah. by uh, eating food that's too hot. I went yeah. to the dentist on Monday morning and they said, do you know your tongue's burnt? Yeah. <laughs> See, I'll show you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did, did, yeah. I did I tell you about the, well, I had one story about the guy that broke his neck. Mm. But didn't but didn't realise he'd broken it, and they just kept on going on, 
and they done some other them had another accident, and when they when they put him in for the um for the CT scan, the doctor came back and said, "Oh, whoever reset your neck done a good job," mm. and the guy said, "Have I broke? I didn't even know I broke my neck." Yeah, so for really? Some, for, yeah. some, for some of you, it must have. You would have been a shitload of pain. Yeah, but but yeah, apparently he didn't know it. Yeah. He was, it, there was also another story of another guy that um, <laughs> he was he was accident prone, and he met met a met a girl from Thailand online and, and went over there, and and she was waiting for them waiting for him. And he had to walk down the stairs. The first time he went over, he got walked, started to walk down the stairs and mm. slipped and fell down the stairs and broke his ankle. Oh. And so he spent the whole two weeks just, yeah, getting over that thing. Had to come back to Australia. Then when he went over for the second time, on the same stairs, he tripped and fell yeah, down and broke his wrist. Oh, that's cursed. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, well, that's why the yeah, people used to say he was cursed because he was always yeah. you know, like that. Oh. So he went over the, the, for the third time, yeah. And he said to the girl, "Before I come down the stairs, will you marry me?" Because <laughs> <laughs> he, he thought, "Well, if I if I if I ask you that, if I go down the stairs and ask you then, I'll probably yeah. trip and break, break my neck." <laughs> but anyway, he yelled out, "Would you marry me?" And uh, yeah, she said yes, and he made it down the stairs without. He made it down third time lucky, eh? Yeah, but, but my, my um, my father used to call me Count Crash because mm. I was always, <laughs> I was all, always had stitches or cuts or bruises or or something that was going yeah. on. Yeah, I'd get on my push bikes and other items and just go flat out and yeah. come off and yeah, do an injury. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I got some slaps. Yeah. West Coast Eagles yeah. got flogged by 118 points to Hawthorne last weekend. Yeah, and. Uh, Oh, the West Tigers, they flogged North Queensland. So North Queensland are a big slap and the West Tigers are a big clap. They flogged them 66 points to 18. Jeez. Yeah, I watched um, some of that second half, you know, last 20 minutes of the game, and it was just a triathlon. And, uh, like, it was played at Leichhardt Oval, and they don't have the electronic scoreboard. Yeah. They've got the old scoreboard, you know, where they manually find <laughs> who manually does it. Yeah. But he would have had RSI. There's <laughs> <laughs> a crowd on the hill there. Each time you have to change the scoreboard, they're yelling out, go! <laughs> yeah. so, so was it the crank one where they crank it, crank the dial to change the number? No, I think it was all hands. All plate. Yeah. Yeah, they yep. had to pull the number down and get the yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, they've still got that scoreboard at the Adelaide Oval, you know, where they, they manually do it. Uh, yeah. uh, but, uh, 
Yeah, I remember when they came in those electronic scoreboards in the early eighties. You know, yeah. in Melbourne Cricket Ground, Sydney Cricket Ground, and uh, I think there was even even one time um, that they were they were it was during a live cricket broadca- broadcast, I think, you know, in Australia, mm. and what and it was it was a manual board, so that it could have been playing it the Adelaide Oval. This was years ago. And, and what they had written down, the score in the commentary box, was completely different to what was up on the um, up on the board. Yeah. So they so they just stuck with yeah what the board said. <laughs> <laughs> well, when they put the one on at the Sydney Cricket Ground, it was you know when the old hill was there, so it was directly behind that. So whenever there was a wicket, they'd all, all the drunks on the on the hill would run down the hill so they could turn around and have, to have a look at the uh, the replay on the big big electronic scoreboard yeah. in the screen. Yeah. Wow. No, but another slap is Simona Hallam, the tennis player. She's on anti-doping charges. Yeah, the former world number one. And another slap is the IPL. It just goes on and on and on and on. And if I've got to turn on Fox Cricket one more time and they've got the Indian Premier League on, I'll scream. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But no, a massive slap. Now, this is my biggest slap for a long time. The Australian government and their funding, well, pretty much their no funding for Australian soccer. Yeah. Just uh, ridiculous, yeah. absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Like, when are they going to get it into into their thick heads that it's actually the world game? Yeah. And like, weren't they watching the last World Cup where we yeah. performed extremely well? Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an internet. It's the number one international sport. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. it's played by more countries than any yeah. other sport. And they just fork out all this money, you know, to the AFL and the NRL, which don't need it. You know, they're, they're sponsored up to the eyeballs. Yeah. Where, like, our, our soccer players who play for our national team, like, when they play for Australia, they've got to have ice baths in the in baths where in the hotel rooms. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just ridiculous. And it'll get to a stage where they just, you know, not... We just won't play, you know. We're getting treated so badly. Yeah. We're getting paid bugger all. Yeah. You know? And, uh, you know, we're players from other countries, like on these multi, multi-million dollar contracts and funding. And, yeah, yeah, it's just disgusting. And it's been going on for way too long. And, yeah. yeah. But no, um, Man United are a clap. They thrashed Chelsea 4-1. Yeah, so they've qualified for uh, the Champions League next year. And, yeah, like they were talking about last season with Man United, they finished sixth, and apparently that in the EPL. And that they considered that a disastrous season. <laughs> Just shows you how much power those top clubs have over there. But Chelsea have always been, you know, one of the real powerful teams over there, and Oh man, they've had it was their eighth defeat in ten games. Mm. 
So, no, they've been going like a busted. And apparently, yeah, they that game against Man United, their supporters just stormed out. <laughs> yeah, I remember some Parramatta games, you know, like that 2005 um, preliminary final against the Cowboys where they were yeah. red-hot favourites to go through to the grand final. Yeah. And, you know, they're down about 20, 20 nil at half time. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, just about half the Parramatta supporters just walked out of the stadium. Just yeah. Like, oh. uh-huh. Uh-huh. yeah. But this is what St. George supporters do. St. George Illawarra. Oh, man. Even when they win, they whinge. Yeah. 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 Mm. And oh, they're, they're the first supporters to walk out of a ground when their team's not going well. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, Brisbane Lions are a clap. Seven wins in a row. And Mr. Big Game Player himself, we're going to have an episode on this in the near future on uh, sports people who uh, thrived under pressure. Yeah. Yeah, stood up when it mattered. Yeah, Brooks Kepka. He's a a freak. Absolute freak. He won his fifth major. Winning the uh, PGA yeah, early in the week. And gosh, you know, he's still in his like 20s, this bloke. Yeah. But he just, you know, he doesn't win hardly much on the PGA tour. Well, I think he's on the uh, the Live Tour now, actually. Yeah. Yeah, he yeah. is. He's on the Live Tour. But uh, yeah, whenever the major comes along, boom, you know, he just yeah. peaks. Yeah. He just knows how to do it. Um, but yeah, this guy's a big clap. Now he's he's a US mountain dwarf. His name is Garrett Madison. Now this is a sport we've never spoken about before. Yeah, uh, mountain climbing. Now this guy, he achieved the rare feat. It's called the tri- triple crown, the Mount Everest region triple crown. So he, he climbed Mount Everest, which is the tallest mountain in the world, Mount Lotsey, Mount Nupsey, and he, he climbed all those peaks in one season. And it's never been done before. Uh-uh. The season's death toll, now this is according to CNN Sports, on the world's highest mountain, has hit 12. Now he's 44 years of age. So he climbed Mount Lotsey. So that's the world's fourth tallest peak at 8,516 metres. Let's have it eight and a half kilometres high. And then he, uh, yeah, that was, so that was on uh, Thursday, a day after he made his 13th ascent of Everest. That's 8,849 metres. That's a huge achievement, you know. Just to even climb Mount Everest, <laughs> like, but he's gone and climbed all, all through, you know, yeah. one single season. This bloke, yeah, yeah, like he goes, quote, it is very difficult to climb all three peaks in a single season. Oh, thanks, Scoop. Only <laughs> <laughs> a few other mountaineers have done it, so yeah, some, some of them have done it. End of quote, yeah, so uh, yeah, congratulations to him. It's amazing how many people die. Yeah. Down Everest. Yeah. Uh, 
But yeah. uh, geez, a bead. You know, real thrill once he got up the top, wouldn't it? Yeah. I think they find bodies years and years later. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, we'll move on. And today we have one of our special nation episodes. So this time we're, go we're going to celebrate the beautiful and wonderful nation of Italy. So this is a country I've had the pleasure of visiting twice. And it's coming up to Italy's National Day, the Festa della Republics or Republic Day, which is celebrated on the 2nd of June every year. Now, according to Wikipedia, the day commemorates the institutional referendum held by universal suffrage in 1946, where Italian people voted on the form of government following World War II and the fall of uh, fascism. Yeah. So Italy is so well known for its incredible culture, history, scenery, art and fashion. And it's also very well known for, for its sports history. So this is a nation that's won the Football World Cup four times. So that's second behind uh, Brazil, actually. Brazil have won it five times. Italy have won it four. But you've got to think, last two World Cups, um, Italy haven't qualified, which yeah. is just incredible. Just yeah. see how hard it is in that European. Um, but they're the European champions at the moment. Yeah, right? so, yeah and famous football clubs such as AC Milan. Um, they also have a strong foothold in... Well, they're, they're, yeah, the current European champions. Yeah, so they've won that title twice. But, yeah, you know, you've got to think of the great clubs like AC Milan. and yeah. um, They have a strong foothold in a wide range of sports, such as rugby. So, you know, they used to be real easy beats in rugby. But, you know, they well, they beat Australia last time they played. So they're getting much stronger in rugby and it's been yeah. in the Six Nations now. Yeah. A number of years, and but also very strong in athletics and tennis and fencing, cycling, and especially very strong in the winter sports. Yeah, so we'll go into a bit of detail, especially about the winter sports today. And yeah. Glenn, when you think of Italian culture and Italian sports people, what comes to mind? Well, when I think of Italian um, cuisine, yeah, pizza and. Mm. Traditional pizza and pasta and stuff like that. spaghetti, spaghetti. Yeah, there used to be a, a great Italian restaurant in Port Macquarie. This was back in the eighties. It was mm. it was really authentic. You know, like the everyone that ran there, worked there, were yeah you know, the 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 yeah you know, were Italian you know, and the way they spoke and. Yeah, you know, the way yeah. the place is just laid out. It's like stepping into an uh, Italian uh, restaurant. In well, Italy. it's um, there's a strong Italian culture in Australia, isn't there? Yeah. Especially in uh, you know yeah. around the Leichhardt area and yeah, in Sydney and yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I've got a friend. Um, in Sydney, his parents are Italian and live at Leichhardt. And, and mm. but yeah, you know, whenever I go there, I only have, I can only eat. Well, like, I'll go there for lunch, and I don't I don't have to eat for the next two days. 
Oh, I love going to Italian restaurants. Yeah. You, you know, on the Gold Coast, have you been to Emerald Lakes? No. Yeah, it's just sort of near Carrara there. Yeah. And it's, oh, it's beautiful place. Like they've got this beautiful lake, but like it's a suburb and a lot of the buildings are like Italian architecture. Yeah. You know, and, and the streets as well. And they've got a big statue of... Uh, the statue of David there. Mm. Do you know who uh, did that one? Who who made the statue of David, Glenn? I've what seen the real one in uh, Florence. What is it? Um, the, the, quiz question for you. The quiz question. It was very famous. The Da Vinci. Eh, uh, Michelangelo. Michelangelo. Okay. Yeah. He painted. He, he painted. Yeah, yeah. I was just about to say. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I've been to Sistine Chapel twice. That's actually in the Vatican. Yeah. Vatican's actually a separate um, independent nation, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's got its own currency. Mm. And that, yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, and yeah. postal service and radio stations and, <laughs> and on you go. Yeah. I remember about 30 years ago, I was living with these blokes and... We used, you know, the days with the old phone books, and we used to mm. ring up places, you know, just pick numbers out from overseas, and <laughs> we'd ring up and leave prank calls. <laughs> <laughs> we rang up the Vatican City one day uh. and uh, asked to speak to the Pope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anything else you think about? Oh uh, well, yeah. Sports and wise, it's yeah. Being motorsport, um, Valentino Rossi, and his great career. Oh, he's a legend. Yeah, yeah, and his yeah. What is is seven champion? No, it's more than that. Mm. Seven, well, according to Wikipedia, it was seven championships in two thousand one, two thousand two, two thousand three, four, five. 2008, 2009, yeah. So, no, really nice guy. And, um, yeah, I've seen him in races where, where he's done the, you know, someone's come off because of his action and he's gone straight over to apologise, yeah, saying that, yeah, that was my fault and, yeah, that he's sorry and, yeah, really down-to-earth guy. I think he... From memory, um, yeah, he started when he was seventeen, I think. Yeah. And then by the time he was eighteen, he he won his first championship. Mm. Well, he's not just a motor sporting legend; he's a sporting legend, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, one of the all-time sporting greats. Yeah. <coughs> Especially in yeah. in the town that he lives in Italy, there's. Yeah, he's got a big business in there that's, yeah, I think it's got a 30 million dollar, 30 million pound a year turnover mm. in restaurants and yeah, very, very, um, a town very, yeah, backing and, and proud of their, their Valentino Rossi. Yeah. yeah. You, you like um, Italian cars like Ferrari? Oh, yeah, yeah. I actually saw a documentary on the um, the Italian police, 
and like like out, out here where we've got mainly Ford and Holdens used as a police cars. Yeah. Uh, over there they've got um they've got Ferraris and Lotuses. Mm. Yeah, you know, supercars for for um police cars as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so which I suppose, well, you know, because there's a lot more of them over there than in Australia. You know, it, it wasn't until, you know, like since they've done the, done the whole East Coast, M1, well, up to Brisbane anyway, you know, the previous Pacific Highway, you know, you really wouldn't be taking a supercar along there. You know, yeah, you well, I'll tell you what, the roads over there aren't crashed off. Yeah. Oh yeah, like um, yeah, it's a bit behind. One thing I noticed with Italy, it's a bit behind, you know, compared to a lot of the other European countries like Germany in terms of uh, infrastructure and yeah, yeah. I remember, you know, because I travelled a fair bit, you know, on the bus there, travelling around, and I went there the first time, and oh, they're just always working on roads, and yeah, they're just about as bad as here. And that's <laughs> <it>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll tell you what, the traffic I've never seen. Once I went to uh Rome that first time in '94, I've basically never complained about traffic again. Yeah. I've never seen traffic like that in my life, yeah. And if you want to cross the road, good luck. Because they won't stop. (laughs) 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 You're taking your life in your own hands. Yeah. Crossing a road over there. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, Because, well, I know in France, like coming into France, they've they've got um, like four lanes either way. Yeah. And my cousin was over there. And she didn't realise that to get across the road, there was actually tunnels that went under the road. So, <laughs> so, so she actually, but yeah, but there was a there was a big grassy island in between. So she actually ran across you know, yeah. the first four lanes and then made it to. It was um, mm. eased off to get along the second four lanes, and then as she's walking further down the track, she then noticed these tunnels. Where she saw people walking in and out of it. Yeah, well, basically, there's no rules with the traffic over there. Uh, they drive on the footpath, they park on the footpath, they, oh, yeah, it's just, well, it might have been proved now. I've been there twice, 1994 and 2007. Uh, and uh, I don't know where my photos went for 2007. Yeah. Yeah, 94, I've got a whole heap of photos. Mm. I might get Olivia here, actually, because I want to educate her as well. Okay. Hey, Olivia. I'm doing it now. <laughs> Ex- um, hang on. Y- yeah, I do have one slap. Yeah. And that's bloody Microsoft. It keeps on asking me to sign back in. Oh, isn't that annoying when and, that happens? And the email address that I'm using... It says it's incorrect, mm. but it's the one that I'm. It's the one that I've always used, and it's just annoying. Yeah, that's what Google do as well, don't they? Yeah. Here she is. Hi. How are you doing? 
I just want to show you some of my photos from when I went to Italy in 94. So that's me. <laughs> now, what city is that? I don't know. Venice. Venice. Yeah, it's Saint Mark, the famous Saint Mark Square. You've got the canals, uh, and I told Libby about this story. This photo is in uh, Assisi, which is a well, it's like a medieval town, you know. And <laughs> I remember one day I was walking around there, and I was bugging, you know, and I just needed somewhere to sit. And I sat down the first chair I saw. The next thing I know, there's this lady, Italian lady, she comes out, she's giving me the biggest verbal tongue lashing uh, of all time in Italian. I've got no idea what she was saying. Uh, basically, what I gathered, she wasn't impressed with me sitting down at a restaurant, not behind anything. Oh, you told me about that. <laughs> uh, yeah. I probably told her to sit down. Well, that's me in uh, Florence. Oh, God, your hair. Yeah. Oh, that's ghastly. Uh, yeah, Florence is an amazing place. I think that's called the Bridge of Sighs. Oh, that's, that's beautiful. In, that's in Florence. Uh, yeah. It's just the amazing architecture. This is uh, uh, done. I think oh, it's one of the old tombs there. Yeah. That's the famous Colosseum in Rome. Uh, yep. It was probably the biggest sporting stadium in the world uh, in those ancient times. Mm. Yeah, it's just amazing all these years, you know, thousands of years later, like it's a lot still, of these. It's um, still standing. Still standing, still in, you know, really good condition. Uh, and uh, this is inside the Colosseum. Uh, I didn't know you were allowed to go inside. Oh, you, you go on tours in there. Mm. Yeah. It was just Jeez, it would have been interesting, you know. Well, you saw that movie Gladiator. Did you say no? Oh, uh, not really. Mm, I saw uh, Crow and... Yeah. But the ancient ruins are just amazing, you know. Well, I think this is uh, St. Peter's Basilica out the front there. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. That's just huge inside. Yeah. These are the uh, Swiss guards. <laughs> Look at the little they're, they're, Yeah. They, they work in the Vatican there. Yeah. yeah. Outside St. Peter's. And oh, wow. this is, I think that might have been from the Sistine Chapel. <laughs> I don't think you're allowed to take photos, but I snuck one in. <laughs> Pretty bad. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, that's St. Peter's out the front. That's me at the uh, Trevi Fountain with a few of my sisters throwing some coins in the fountain. Yeah. I don't know what my wish was. <laughs> well, it still hasn't come true. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, That's the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Uh, it was closed at the time, I remember. They, they were doing renovations on it. <laughs> well, we're trying to get the lean back the other way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Was that actually done on purpose or did this happen that way? No idea. I think from memory they were building it and yeah, they just didn't build it right. Yeah. 
Hey, there's some homework for you, Libby. Yeah. Yeah. Go and Google leaning um, Tower of Pisa and okay. find out why it was. I remember finding out the reason, but yeah, it was so long ago. I can't remember. But the second time I went there in 2007, I was on a cruise ship and we came in into the Venice. Oh, and that was uh, just spectacular. That was yeah. just one of the greatest memories of my life going yeah. into Venice in, uh, yeah, like on a cruise ship and just, oh, yeah, just, just the, the sights, you know. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, when, when, when I first heard about the, the Leaning Tower of Pisa. I thought mm. they said the Leaning Tower of Pizza. Yeah. I, am, I, am, I thought it was like a, re a pizza restaurant. I, thought, well, I remember I was on this coach. It was, it was a Trafalgar tour. And about 80% of them were, you know, these old Americans. And But you had to get out of the bus, right, and walk probably 50 metres to go and have a look at it because it was surrounded by these brick walls and, yeah, they didn't want to get off the bus. <laughs> yeah. They just expected to be. They were disappointed they um, couldn't see it from where they were sitting. Yeah. Uh, 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 oh yeah. If you ever get a chance, go to Italy. It's just an amazing place. Uh, you know, just incredible history. I think I enjoyed it more the second time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely enjoyed it more the second time. But you, you got to pick your time to go. Yeah. Because uh, when it's you know that main tourist season, it is packed, absolutely packed. Yeah. Right. What does it say, Libby? <clears throat> By the time builders had finished the third of eight planned stories, about five years later, the tower's foundation had begun to settle unevenly on the ground beneath it, a dense mixture of clay, sand, and shelves. As a result, the structure began to tilt visibly towards the side. Yeah, I thought so. I knew I had something to do with that. Yeah. Well, thanks for that. Its center of gravity has been carefully kept within its base so that it doesn't fall over. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I actually went to Pompeii as well. That was in 2007. Yeah. Well, I was a bit disappointed with Pompeii. Yeah, uh, yeah Pompeii is sort of <clears throat> outside Naples, you know, and uh, sort of the southern part, more towards the southern part of Italy. And I've always wanted to go there, you know, because I've just fascinated with the history. And yeah. it was from that, that, there was a volcano a couple of thousand years ago. And uh, yeah, like, you know, they didn't have time to really evacuate. And uh. yeah, and, and um, oh, yeah, Pompeii is a town that was near this volcano. Just uh, outside um, Naples, yeah, uh, and yeah, a lot of the bodies, you know, people all got um, mummified there by all the ash. Uh, so when I went there, I was expecting to see all these mummified bodies from thousands of years ago. I don't think I saw one. Uh, yeah, but it was amazing how many archaeologists were there at the time, still digging. Uh, yeah, all these years later. Yeah, that I I saw a video of this guy talking about. Mm. Forget where it was, but these arche archaeologists, uh, going through this ancient ruins, and they actually found, um, 
underground copper cables in this town that, hmm. yeah, that was deserted thousands of years ago or whenever. Really? Yeah. Yeah. You know, we, we just don't have any history, do we? No, no, <laughs> like no. We can history over there to here. Yeah, yeah. Well, the well, any any um any stadiums, yeah, uh, twenty thirty years they ripped them down and built a new one. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but no, I think about you know Michelangelo and the great opera singer Pavarotti and yeah. Leonardo da Vinci and Sophia Loren, oh, yeah. and you got you know you go back thousands of years to Julius Caesar. Yeah. And Dante, and yeah, he was very infamous. This guy Mussolini, he was the the fascist leader in World War Two. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, but in terms of sport, I think of great football players such as Roberto Baggio and Francesco Totti and Alessandro Del Piero. He, he, I remember when he came out and played a season with Sydney FC in the early days of the A-League. And, yeah. oh, man, he, he drew crowds big time. Yeah. yeah. He's by far the biggest name that's ever played in, um, you know, in the A-League. Yeah. yeah. But then, you know, you think, like today, current 100 metres Olympic champion, Lamont Marcel Jacobs. And, and I think of all the, you know, the World Cup wins they've had and... Mm. Yeah, the rugby matches against Australia. And yeah, we spoke recently about the, the great jockey, Frankie Dettori. He was Italian. But mm -hmm. once I found interesting when I was researching, and here's, here's some trivia. Now, this guy, he's a famous Italian footballer, Gianluigi Buffon. Now, he's widely considered one of the greatest goalkeepers of all time. And he's the first goalkeeper to receive the Golden Foot Award. But he's also known too for his great charity work and mm. was named a Goodwill Ambassador for the United Nations World Food Program. And then there's Federica Pellegrini. So she's an Italian sw swimmer. She's nicknamed La Div Divina, Divina, the Divine. Mm. Yeah. And she's taken part in five Olympic Games and became the first female athlete in Tokyo to qualify for five consecutive Olympic finals in the 200 metres freestyle. And now she's creating her own fashion line. Yeah. And she's good on the eye too, Glenn. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, she's on the Facebook page. <laughs> but this guy, uh, Danilo Gallinari, he's a basketball player. And he's the highest paid Italian athlete in the world. And he plays for the Atlanta Hawks in the NBA. He's nicknamed Il Gallo or the Rooster. Mm. Yeah, so his lucky number is eight because of the jersey he wears. And he was born on the 8th of the 8th, 1988. And uh, his autobiography uh -huh. is called From Zero to Eight. That's <laughs> <laughs> so an eight-a-thon. I wonder what yeah, the, I wonder what his number plate is like. Yeah, they've got the playoffs in the NBA at the moment, the, the final. I think it's going going down the game seven. Yeah, yeah Boston Celtics and uh, yeah. oh just trying to think who they're here we are. Yeah, Celtics and the Heat. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Right. So we've got Vincenzo <coughs> Nabali. So he's a cyclist and he's won the Giro d'Italia and the Tour de France twice in 2013-2016. Now, as a kid, his dad destroyed his bike when he didn't do well in school. But lucky his dad bought him another one. <laughs> now, this, this guy is really interesting. Now, I remember hearing about this story, you know, you know how I liked all of my Olympic Games history. And, yeah. But this guy, we're going back over 100 years ago. His name's Durando Pietri. Now, he's a former long-distance runner. He finished first in the 1908 London Olympics marathon. However, he was later disqualified. Now, Pietri appeared to have a well and truly won as he approached the main stadium. <coughs> However, when he entered the stadium gates, he was told that another runner was catching up to him. Well, this runner was, you know, he was miles in front, you know, and so this <laughs> person's told him a big porky pie. Uh. So uh, Pietri, the Italian, he put in this big sprint from there until he reached the track. And once he reached the track with still two-thirds of the track to run. So, you know, in a marathon, a lot of the times when they finish in the stadium, they enter the stadium, then they've got to run around. Yeah. You know, complete. Yeah. yeah, so he, <laughs> he gets to the track and he's completely buggered. <laughs> he's, you know, he's tired out and he's just no longer felt capable of continuing because yeah. um, he just wasted a lot of energy doing this sprint. So he, he fell and he got back several times and recovered and he passed the finish line victorious with huge praise and cheering from the crowd. Mm. However, American John Hayes, who finished in second place and prepared for the race by spending two days in bed to taper... <laughs> Before the race, he lodged a protest. That's how he, this is, um, gosh, our times have changed, you know, tapering today. Uh, like they're running, you know, the morning of the race and they're just cutting down how many Ks they do. And uh, he tapered by, by staying in bed. Uh, yeah. But no, the reason he lodged a protest, and this was because each time he fell down, he was assisted to his feet by officials mm. and the protest was successful and the American won the race. However, at the time, according as mentioned in the book, the Olympics, Athens to Athens, public favour was in favour of the Italian who he is uh, fondly remembered all these years later, but I've put it on the Facebook page. They've still got the video, you know, uh. over a hundred years ago. What's that? 115 years ago, yeah. and yeah, yeah, he he deserved to be disqualified. Uh, <laughs> if I was the American, I would have been protesting too. Yeah, because yeah, he he got more than a fair bit of assistance. Yeah, yeah. there's no way that would be allowed today. No. Oh. No. Yeah, so yeah, justice prevailed there, and yeah, yeah. but Eugenie Monty, he's a former bobsledder an alpine skier and he's a legend in the sport of bobsleigh with 10 world championship medals of which nine were gold mm. he's won six olympics and two gold medals now he became the first athlete to receive the prestigious 
Pierre de Coupeton, Medal for Sportsmanship. Do you know who Pierre de Coupeton is, Blue? No. He's a guy who uh, was responsible for the modern day Olympic Games. Uh, mm. uh, and Pietro Mania. So he's a former sprinter, later became a politician. And his nickname, Frasia del Sud, or the Arrow of the South. Now, he won the 200 metres at the 1980 Olympics and set a world record of 19.72 seconds in 1979. That's amazing, you know, because you think of all, when it comes to the sprint events, you think, you know, the the African-Americans are always, you know, going to be breaking all Uh, the world records, you know, like Usain Bolt uh, and the Americans and... But no, like, yeah, so, uh, yeah, he broke that world record. That is fast, 19.72 seconds for Uh, 200 metres. But this record stood for 17 years, uh, and it's still the European record today. And he qualified for four 200 Olympic finals from 1972 to 1984. uh, I think he's passed away now, yeah. uh, Anyway... Yeah, so I was actually thinking this week about the the, the wording African American. Mm. So it's it's people from you know heritage of Africa living in America. Mm. So, so what would that make? What would that what would that what would that make us English Aborigine? <laughs> English Aborigine. Yeah. Oh. Well, where, where are you from? Uh. Well, that would make me, um, oh, Irish, Irish Australian. Yeah. Australian Irish. Australian Irish. Yeah. Because my ancestors are from Northern Ireland. Yeah. yeah well, what, about, what about yourself? Oh, well, I know um, my, on my mother's side, my grandmother mm. was she was from Wales, Welsh, and um, her her father he was, yeah he dates back to the the first fleet so, yeah you know, English sort of background, and my father didn't know. So you're an English Aussie. Yeah, and my father who's, who was very olive skinned in town. Was, yep. um, he didn't find out until he was 52 that his his parents weren't his, his actual birth parents. Mm. But I think uh, uh, um, Argentinian or something like that, his father was from. Oh, okay. But his birth mother was Australian. Right. Yeah. That's an interesting combination. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, so it's quiz time. Yeah, I'll go yeah. get Miss Olivia oh. again. She's vanished. Disappeared. But I'll find her. Yeah. She's the quiz master. <laughs> okay. Six. Oh, that was quick. I can hear you summoning me. Faster than a runaway XPT yeah. through Linden. <laughs> Faster than uh, Betrayo Mania. You're going to run out of 
things to say one day and you're just going to stop talking. <laughs> okay. Will you, will you just start from the beginning again? If you run out of things... If you run out of things to say, you should just start all over again. <laughs> well, the older you get, you do that more often because you forgot what you said. Yeah. So you just repeat it again. Quiz time. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. We have six questions today. So, uh, Question number one. The FIFA World Cup has been held in Italy on how many occasions? Is it A, once? B, twice, or C, three times. The answer is B, twice. It was held in 1934 and 1990. Hmm. Yeah, I never knew that. Have you studied much about the, the Olympic Games? Sorry. Have you done much about the Olympic Games at school? Not really. Ah. It's interesting though, like the the torch and I don't know. I know nothing about it, so we ah. can't talk. Ah. Question number two: The 2006 Winter Olympics were held in which Italian city? Is it A. Torino, B. Milan, or C. Tuscany? answer is A, Torino. Question number three. Carolina Costner is a four-time world champion and five-time European champion in which sport? Is it A, athletics, B, skiing, or C, figure skating? Answer is C, figure skating. Question number four. This is like the first multiple, not multiple choice question that we've had. What is the nickname of the Italian national football team? <laughs> Sorry about that. I was actually reading, okay. I was reading the wrong, wrong question. And I thought, that doesn't end that way. <laughs> like a reflex. At this point, it's the Azuri, the Blues. That's right. Oh, you! I've got their jersey, dude. You do? Yeah. You wanna go get it? Oh, I used to have it. I think. Yeah, it got wrecked. He's yeah. holding two protein balls in his hand, <laughs> just randomly, and he wears them. Yeah, I remember I brought one back from Italy, and yeah, it's it's gone. <gasps> You might have, um, I was about to say you might have stolen it. You might have sold it. <laughs> you stole it. No, I got it off uh, at the markets over there. I remember. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure you didn't yeah. steal it, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> Question number five. Matteo Berrettini and Sarah Arani are well-known Italian sports people in which sport? Answer is tennis. Question number six. Last question. What is the name of the Italian runner who won the 1988 Olympic men's marathon?
The answer is Galinder Borden. I think Dad's found it. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Stuffing his face while he's supposed to be yeah. recording. <laughs> no, it's not working. It says yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to Google Translate Italian. Yeah, I, it's, it's a bit hard to do it with a mouthful of walls. No. <laughs> okay. Okay. How did you know? This know week's that? Who Am I? Okay. What am I? I'm a famous multi stage bicycle race held in Italy, which also passes through some neighborhood. Oh my gosh, I'm having a stroke. Neighboring countries. I was first organized in 1909 to increase the sales of the newspaper La Gazzetta del Port, and I have been held annually since ex since except the two world wars. I am a UCI World Tour event with different teams and riders from all over the world competing. I'm one of cycling's prestigious three to grand tours and after the tour de france i'm the second most important stage race in the world i'm actually held in may slash my outer route route and my route changes <laughs> each year however my format always involves two time trials and a passage through the Italian Alps, which includes passing through the spectacular Dolomite Mountains in the northeastern Italy. In northeastern Italy, I should say. I normally consist of 21 stages over 23 to 24 days, which include two rest days. Italian writer Luigi Ganna and the. I'm so sorry. I'm you just spoke Italian. <laughs> He's he's getting he's getting is it Google Translate? He's getting Google Translate out and he's trying to Hey Paul, put your phone and your balls down. <laughs> and focus. Nearly done. Just let me get through this. Italian writer Luigi Ganna and the current 2022 cha champion first won me in is Aussie writer what? <laughs> what? Elaborate. So, uh, Italian rider Luigi Garner and the current 2022 champion first won me. Um, no, I'll stop that up. <laughs> <laughs> You're yeah, making me forget. Right, Aussie, actually, uh. Aussie rider Lee, he won the he won it last year. When I when I typed this up, the race was actually in progress for this year. So he isn't the current champion. Yeah, oh. someone else is the current champion. Well, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he won it. He was an Aussie. You won it. Yeah. That's but, that's all that matters. But you don't know what his name was. Joy Hindley. Joy Hindley. But I'll tell you who won it this that, year. That's what she was asking you. <laughs> what his name was, you goose. Shiro. Here we are. Uh, it's hard uh, G. Thomas won it. I think this year. Okay. 
They say in show business don't work with animals and children. I will now add don't don't work with paws. <laughs> <laughs> add paws to the list. Gary and Thomas. Children. Oh, poor. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, I'm still going. Hang on. Come on, you're wasting. Oh, no, not oh yeah. No, carry on. Uh, well, she's, she's finished. Oh, you finished. My name is. Oh, we should reveal at the end <laughs> of the episode. Now, yeah, give him a big, big slap across the head. Big slap. Yeah, he needs to be woken up. Wooshka. Where's your cop? Wooshka. Yeah, there's something to wake you up. And I've got to do where are they now, too. Yeah. Now. <laughs> How am I going to go? <laughs> I'm scared. You're scared. You get yeah. you, you get the you get to leave. I've got to put up with them until the end. <laughs> Bye. Bye, Olivia. Good luck. Oh, dear idea. Right, Where are they now? Uh, I wonder how they say "Where are they now?" in Italian. <laughs> Where are they now? So professional, aren't we? Where are they now? <laughs> That's how they say it. What was it? Okay, carry on. Right, today we're going to go to the world of downhill skiing. We've never spoken about downhill skiing before. It's good going to these sports that, uh, well, you know, especially, you know, they're big sports in a lot of countries overseas and especially in Europe, but not yeah. very well known here. So it's uh, good to explore them. But we're going to talk about a man, and his name is Alberto Tomba. So he was born in the city of uh, Bologna, Bologna, yep, in northern Italy in 1966, and he's a former alpine ski racer. Now he was the most dominant technical skier in the late 1980s and 90s, and he was nicknamed Tomba la Bomba or Tomba la Bomb. So there are three types of technical alpine skiing. So you've got the slalom, which involves skiing between poles or gates that are spaced more closely than the ones in the other two types, which are the giant slalom and the super G, which is regarded as a speed event. So they reach average speeds of around 80 kilometers an hour. That's in the giant slalom. So imagine how fast they go in the super G. <laughs> Yeah. Some of them, they lose their lives, you know. Yeah. Yeah, on the news, you know, downhill skiers. Yeah. yeah they've got a lot of guts and courage, like, uh, uh, you know, the motorcyclists. And, uh, yeah. yeah. So, Tomba, he was a powerfully built skier. He had 182 centimetres and 90 kilograms, which was unusual to the traditional technical skiers who focus more on their agility rather than rather than their strength. But you know, Tomba was able to take advantage of his strength and power. And this was especially the case because they they introduced spring-loaded ski gates. 
which replaced the older solid gates in the early 80s. Imagine hitting those solid gates. Uh, <laughs> you know about it. Especially uh, at 80 odd k's an hour. Yeah. Yeah, so he, he really benefited from these uh, spring-loaded ski gates when they came in, and because yeah. you know, he could he could use his uh, power more to his advantage, and yeah, so this was because he could maintain a faster, more direct line through the courses. So when when you watch downhill skiing, you, you often see them hit those, you know, the um, the markers. Yeah. Yeah. So the sport is contested at uh, World Cups, World Ski Championships and Olympic Games. Now, Tomba's won three Olympic gold medals, two World Championships and nine World Cup season titles. Now, go back, just have a look at his early life now. He was raised in a village called Castile de Briti. So his father was a wealthy business person in the textile industry and was a keen skier who passed on his love of skiing to Alberto and his older brother, Marco. So Alberto began skiing when he was only three years of age, and he began racing at seven years of age, developing a great passion for the sport on the nearby slopes of the Apennines. So his father obtained the services of a special teacher called Roberto Siopas, uh, for Alberto, and Ciapaz was a former Italian slalom skier in the 1950s and 60s. So, yeah, he's got a lot of experience behind him, and Tomba even had time off school to go and train. And his mother, Maria Grazia, would not allow her son to do the downhill, so that's why he stuck to the slalom and the giant slalom. Now, he earned his famous nickname at just 21 years of age for his explosive style of skiing. And his father, later on in 1988, so this was at his first Olympics, Alberto Tomba. Now, his father promised him a Ferrari if he went on to win a gold medal. And when he did go on to win gold at the 1988 Calgary Winter Olympics, he told his dad, and uh, this was on live TV. <laughs> and his dad said, he told his dad, yeah, red, a red Ferrari will do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. So Tomba made his World Cup debut at the end of 1985, just before his 19th birthday. And he finished 51st on the World Cup circuit in 1986. And he picked up his first podium finish in December that year in uh, Alta Badia, Italy. And the following year, he won bronze in the giant slalom at the World Championships in Switzerland. Now, by 1988, he'd risen to second on the circuit and then went on to win two gold medals at the Calgary Olympics. And he won the giant slalom by more than a second. And a few days later, he won the slalom by just... 0.06 of a second. Uh, so, <laughs> oh boy, there's not much in it, is there? So uh, this is why, you know, it's so crucial that they, especially in this sport, if you make a mistake, uh, yeah, you're going to pay for it. Uh, so he, he defeated the legendary Swedish skier, Ingemar Stenmark. Now, he, 
Stenmark, he was the last man to achieve the slalom and the giant slalom double in 1980. And he was, so Tomba became one of the stars of the games. I actually remember this, yeah, when this happened. Because uh, we'll get, I'll, I'll speak about it a bit more. He was uh, known as a real party boy, uh, Alberto. Uh, mm. Now, when he wasn't competing, Tomba was by now developing a colourful playboy image, dating a former Miss Italy. <laughs> so what what happened? He he went to um, he went there as a judge, right, for the Miss, Miss Italy competition. <laughs> he goes there as a judge, and he leaves the event with the winner. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. So he's partying a lot. However, he was all style and grace when competing, and he had an all-or-nothing aggression when skiing. This this was like Greg Norman, you know, with his golf. He, he played like that. It was, and it, I think it cost him a few majors. Yeah. Actually, the, um, the 1986 Masters. Yeah. yeah, if he just played safe on that final hole yeah. instead of you know, going out for the aggressive shot. Yeah, could have been a different story. But anyway, Tomba, he received criticism that his partying lifestyle was interfering with his training. But Tomba said, quote, I admit I used to have a wild time with three women until 5 a.m. Now I am in training. It's five women until 3 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> End of quote. <laughs> I like his way of thinking. He's got to get his priorities right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so then he had some problems with his weight and concentration, and he broke his collarbone in a crash in 1990. Now, he only won four World Cup races in the next two years. And at the um, 1989 World Championships in Colorado, America, he finished sixth in the Super G and seventh in the giant slalom. So I wonder how his mother felt now, you know, that he was doing these more dangerous events. Yeah. Uh, well, it's like my mum. She wouldn't let me play rugby league at school. Oh, it's too dangerous. You're not playing that. Uh, yeah. Uh, now, he then got serious, trained hard, and bounced back to win the giant slalom World Cup title for the second time and finished fourth in the slalom standings. Now, at the 1991 World Championships, he finished fourth in the slalom, however, crashed in the giant slalom after clocking the fastest time in the first league. Mm. Now, Tomba went on to win gold in the giant slalom at the 1992 Albertville Winter Olympics and defended his Olympic title, however, just missed out in the slalom by 0.28. 28 of a second. So, yeah, it went right down the wire. Mm. Just missed out for getting that double goal. So, in 1993, that was a year to forget for Tomba. He um, won just one World Cup race the whole season and missed out on making the podium at the World Championships in Japan. Now, at the 1994 Winter Olympics in Lillehammer, because this, this was a time they used to have the Winter Olympics on the same year as the Summer Olympics. Yeah. But then when it went from 1992, yeah, they changed it. 
they had it two years later. So now yeah. it's um, not on the same year. It's yeah. two years apart. Yeah. yeah, which I think works well, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, the Winter Olympics in 1994 and Lilyhammer. So Lilyhammer was the first time Australia ever won a, uh, a medal at the Winter Olympics. Uh, yeah, Steve Bradbury was part of that. Um, oh, there was a relay team, I think. Yeah, in the uh, uh, skiing. What's that skiing they do around the, the short short track skiing? Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so he's picked up a gold in the. He just missed out on a gold in the slalom. It went very close, but. He picked up a silver, but that was a massive achievement. He was very happy with this because, you know, at one stage he 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 was coming 12th and he looked well and truly out of it and then, uh, yeah, bounced back really well and was mm -hmm. ecstatic, you know, picking up that silver medal where, you know, a lot of athletes, oh, like, you know, like Grant Hackett's one of them, yeah. you know. He considers any silver medal he got as a failure. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that, you know. There's a lot of athletes that are like that. Yeah. yeah. But just from, you know, the bad lead up that he'd had and, um, you know, yeah, he'd bombed out big time in his earlier rounds. And, yeah. yeah. So, no, he was delighted with that. And the following year, he picked up the World Cup overall title with 11 race victories. Now, Tomba finally broke through and won two World Championship gold medals in 1996 at his first. Now, this was his first in uh, World Championships. So he had to wait all that time uh, to finally break through. He, he won Olympic gold, which was great, but he, uh, yeah, it took him quite a while to get that breakthrough in the World Champs. Now, by now, he is contemplating retirement. <clears throat> However, he decided to go on and he competed at the 1998 uh, Nagano Winter Olympics, however, failed to win a medal, and he crashed in the giant slalom, injuring his back and groin. Now, later that year, he went on to win his 50th World Cup race in the slalom, and then he retired. So Tomba achieved a record that is still unbroken, and he is the only alpine male skier to have won at least one World Cup race per year for 11 consecutive seasons. Must have enormous toll on their body, you know, like on their knees and, yeah, especially their knees, you know, like at that speed and crouching down. And uh. So he excelled in the slalom with 35 first places in World Cups compared to 15 in the giant slalom. Now, Tomba then... Has a, he has a go at acting. <laughs> so he's another one. Yeah. <laughs> another sports person who has a go at acting in retirement. Uh. Yeah, so this was apparently a, a lifelong ambition he had. And he made numerous appearances on Italian television. And he made his acting debut in the crime film, crime film Alex La Ariat. Do you ever watch that one, Glenn? No. No? <laughs> <laughs> Now, this was a flop, apparently, and, uh, yeah, it was panned by movie critics. Now, at the 2006 Winter Olympics in Turin, which was held in his home country, 
Tomba carried the Olympic flame into the stadium. So that would have been a great honour for him. And he received an award in 2010 called the Excellence uh, Garlande de Honor. And he was entered a, it's called a FICTS, so Federation Internationale Cinema Television Sportives Hall of Fame. So he, he entered that. And the Federation of Sport Televisions as well was founded in 1983 and it's recognised by the IAC and promotes the values of sport through film and television. Now, during his skiing career, the Italian press were obsessed with Tomba and Tomba reported that if he uh, didn't win, he came in second place, it was seen as a failure. And it felt like he had to win every every day. And he said, quote, in Italy, they want to know about me every minute. If I kiss a friend on the cheek, the papers say, Alberto's new girlfriend. Then she has to hide and her family too. In Italy, they love me too much. They want to kill me. Now Alberto is tired, more than tired, end of quote. What do, what do you think of the paparazzi and press and famous personalities, Glenn? Well, I think the paparazzi and press, especially the paparazzi, should go on. Have a good look at themselves in the mirror. Yeah, mm. uh, because, yeah, just because you're famous or well-known, but, yeah, you still have a life. You still should be respected. Yeah. You know, they say, oh, well, yeah, they're famous. They're in the public eye. But, yeah, the public has a right to know about what's going on. But, you know, you look, you look at half the trashy magazines, yeah, in the supermarket, and they're all just full of made-up stories. Yeah, it's full of rubbish. Yeah, just get over it. Yeah. This, this is what he was saying, like, you know, pretty much everything they, the press said about him was wrong. Yeah, no, no I've, yeah. I've, I've been interviewed a couple of times, and, and what, mm. was, what actually came out was totally wrong to what I was saying. Yeah, so yeah. I, I, I don't trust them. And yeah, do you think the paparazzi were, were to blame for Princess Diane's crash? Yeah, I was just going to mention that. Yeah. 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 Oh, definitely. Well, that was a combination of that and a drunk driver, apparently. Yeah. But yeah. It, yeah but I don't think we'll ever know the true story, but yeah, paparazzi definitely played a role. Yeah. yeah they just hounded her for years, you know. Yeah, no, no. No, I. I mm. I'd like to be I I'd like to be the opposite. I'd like to follow the paparazzi and take pictures of them. Yeah. And, and annoy yeah. them. See how they like it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But no, Tombo, he was at times accused of assaulting photographers who violated his privacy. Now in nineteen ninety six he threw a trophy at a photographer who had sold nude nude photos of him. Yeah. And the, the photographer sued Tomba, claiming that he suffered a hand injury in the incident. <laughs> Poor little dear. And he was accused of karate kicking another photographer who was trying to take a photo of him outside a, a party in Florence. And he was also accused of abusing the police badge and flashing lights that came with his position with the Italian uh, National Police Force, yeah. Yeah, the Carabinieri. 
Yeah. So in 1998, he got in the strife with his father for allegedly failing to pay taxes. So approximately $12 million, wow. which uh, Tomba earned from sponsorships from 1990 to 1996. Now, Tomba was eventually cleared. However, his father was convicted and sentenced to 16 months in jail. Yeah. So let's look at what Alberto Tomba's doing today. So today he's 56 years of age and he enjoys sleeping. <laughs> Wonder with how many women. <laughs> he has a passion for uh, automatic car washes, which he likes to go to. <laughs> at uh, night time where there's no queue. <laughs> yeah. with, with, ha with how many women in the car? Yeah, how does many he, Ferraris? Does he like doing it in the, in the automatic washing <laughs> machines <laughs> in the car? Have a quickie in the car washing machine. Yeah. yeah. Well, this is it, you know, like some of these famous personalities, they don't have a choice. They've got to go out. This is like in, these famous Indian cricketers. Uh, you know, they've got to go out like three o'clock in the morning, uh, or else they just get mobbed. Uh, the, 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 there was a story about um, oh, I know, I know, I know of him. Um, is is a is a mixer, a well-known mixer um, in America, and yeah. and the studio that that he was working at. When he now started in the industry, Mick Jagger ended up going into the studio, and apparently no, no one recognised him. No, Is that one, right? no one followed him or, or recognised that it, it was yeah. it was him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this was like in Melbourne, you know, with the Melbourne Storm. Like they had those superstar players, like. Uh, Cameron Smith and Billy Slater and Cooper Cronk. And, you know, if they walked down the main street of Melbourne, <laughs> people wouldn't turn their heads. They wouldn't know who they are because they're just AFL mad, you know. Mm. Yeah, so that's why a lot of players um, enjoy playing down there because they just don't get the, you know, the um, they're not in the limelight but like they are in other, you know, in Sydney and Brisbane. And, yeah. yeah. So with Tomba, He's now involved in the Larius World Sports Academy and the Larius Sport for Good Foundation. And it's, a mission, its mission is to spread the positive influence of sport around the world. Now, Tomba said, quote, the academy believes that sport can help young people learn respect, discipline and loyalty by keeping them away from drugs, crime and hate. Sport gives people the chance to shake hands with one another, even if they're from a different country, colour or social class, end of quote. So he participates in ski events to benefit various local youth skiing programs and is an active sponsor of the United Nations Children's Fund. Now, he built a home near Valley in Avon, Colorado, and he's involved in business ventures selling his own fragrance called In Descent and promotes a fairy tale book written by his younger sister, Alicia. That's interesting. Oh. Now, he says that his gold medals are in his wine cellar at home and he loves eating steak pasta and drinking red wine. Steak pasta. 
Yeah, and that's the story of Alberto Tomba. Oh. Right, so we move on to our who am I? The reveal, yeah, well, again, uh, well, what, what am I? What, so yeah. what am I this week? Yeah, the what am I reveal. So, mm. how we, what is the answer to that? And the answer is the Giro d'Italia. So, <laughs> so, what was it again? The Giro d'Italia. Yeah, but what? Was it the venue or? That's a bike race. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's it's the main um, cycle race in the lead up to the Tour de France. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's they're the second biggest cycle. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it's just held recently. Yeah, oh, I yeah. remember, you know, watching the um, highlights on the news. Yeah. 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 Okay. Anyway, we go to my top five now. So in fifth place, I've got a tie. I've got Federica Pellegrini, the great swimmer, and Vincenzo Nabali. So they're in fifth place. Fourth place, I've got our Where Are They Now Today, Alberto Tomba. Third place, I've got Eugenie Monti. Second place, I've got the great goalkeeper, Gianluigi Buffon. And in top spot, the one and only... The master, Valentino Rossi. What's his nickname again, Glenn? Is it the doctor or? Yeah, that's it. yeah, the doctor. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, also his number 46 has been retired. Mm. So, so no one else can use it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. So, yeah, well, that's rightly so, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Mm. So what time? Yeah. yeah. Well, next episode we're going to do a topic that you suggested. I've never thought about this one before. Um, sports couples, well-known sports couples who got married. Yeah. yeah. We're going to talk about some of them. Okay. Radio. So we'll have the, we'll be having a break for a little while. It's good doing these um, three episodes, eh? Yeah. 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 It's day and looking yeah. back at, you know, yeah, okay. we'll do some of them throughout the year. And, you know, we've looked at France and Ireland and America. Yeah, we, yeah, we did an episode in America yeah, from memory. Yeah. That's all right. Okay. So thanks for joining us for this episode of The Sports Shack. So all references for this episode are on the platform page. So it's a goodbye from Paul. It's a goodbye from Glenn. Goodbye. Uh, Ciao. G'day, it's me again. Please check out the Sporting Shack on Facebook if you like this for posts and other likes and shares. Have a great sporting week. Until next time.